Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500. No, no. No, no. It's now 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, the tank is failing, Sat. Canucks beat the St. Louis Blues last night. The tank sprung a leak <laughs> in a winning way. It's like a hot water tank that like explodes. Yeah. <laughs> and then like... How dare right. these hockey players try to win a hockey game? Yeah. How dare they? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I will say, though, like you watched Chicago win. You watch Anaheim win. And you're like... You're four points up on third place. Like, th- this is getting interesting. You yes. could be in the bottom. Th- so I totally understand the uh, swing of emotion. Mm-hmm. It's just the assigning blame thing where I'm just like, I, it feels I, I, like we're supposed to blame here. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can blame anybody. It feels like uh, the first couple weeks of a baseball season, you know, and like maybe uh, a few wins aren't going your way. And yeah. it's like, well, there's still like another 150 games, guys. Relax. Yeah. But well, it kind of feels like. With every win, people are panicking. Like, yeah. oh my god, they're winning too much. It's like, well, they're like they're still going to lose a lot of games. It's well, just they still have the worst record in the league since Jan first. Yes, so it's there's that. There is that. I uh, mean, we don't need to go through everything. We've all gone through it. I think the the biggest the one criticism, which to me makes some sense, is the ice time one. So Rick Tockett uh, doing. What he said he wasn't going to do and playing guys a ton. Yeah, and, and listen, I I understand if you look at. The types of players they currently have, the back end with, with the guys that are out and even up front, I get it. Games are close. You're trying to win. That's what's going to happen. And part of it is coaches are going to try to win. Players are going to try to win. That's what happens. But you, I don't know if you if you can keep running Quinn Hughes out there 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, like I, I know yeah. you got injuries on the back end and you're kind of undermanned, but I just don't know if that's going to end well. Uh, more Guillaume Brisebois, please. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I really mean that, but, uh, you know, that's kind of what you need right now. When Quinn Hughes is playing 30 minutes, you had JT over close to 25 again last night. Um, it, it is doing a lot of the things that Rick Tockett sort of said he didn't want to see anore One thing I wonder about, and you're right, because Tockett himself mentioned you can't be playing these guys a lot, and now here he yeah. is playing these guys a lot, right? The trade deadline's coming up. Mm-hmm. You're trying to maybe have guys play as well as possible. Now, the guys that are in trade talks, like Luke Shen, have been kept out, and that's a whole other can of worms we will get into here. But past the deadline, do we see the minutes go down a little bit? I yeah. wonder about that. Like, Do you then kind of say, it's like, hey, we, we kind of give it a bit of a run. We're trying. Like somebody texted in and said, he realized you can't win, win with the balanced lineup, and now is doing what Bruce did. And this is what coaches usually do. They come in, give everybody a bit of ice time. Bruce did the same thing. Remember, he came yeah. in, everyone gets ice time initially. Everyone's happy. And as time goes on, he realizes the team's flaws. He has to win games. Yeah. You see how he starts leaning on guys. Tockett comes in, tries to have a balanced lineup. They get kicked around a little bit. They have struggles. He starts playing guys a lot more. Past the deadline, do we see them, regardless of results, kind of say, you're not playing more than 24 minutes if you're Quinn. You're not playing more than 21 if you're JT. You're not playing more than 20 if you're Patterson type of deal. I'm really curious about that after the trade deadline. Because I get before the deadline, you're running guys hot a bit. You're trying to win, trying to show good environment. You have guys you're trying to move, right? Like, I get it. 
past the deadline, it makes zero sense to me to run guys hot. It makes zero sense to me. Well, the, the part of it too last night was the amount of power play time they had. Yeah. Right. Um, all those guys yep. played over five minutes with the extra man. There's always context. Yeah. Right. There's always context, and the injuries do matter. Like I, I, I get, there's a close game. Who are you going to put out there? Probably <laughs> Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Right. Like you're not. Ratu, I think, did a good job winning some draws, and you see some ability, but you're talking about under eight minutes of ice time, mm-hmm. first NHL game. And then Niels Oman has had some ups and downs, but he can't lean on him. So what happens in a close game? You're leaning on your top two centers. That's that's what's going to happen. And when Elias Pettersson is going the way that he's going, it's kind of hard not to play that guy. Yeah. Ten shots on goal last night. What do you have, 15, 18 shot attempts? Something wild. Second half of that game, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon every shift (laughs) that he was out there. Uh, Ends up with the goal and two assists, scores the overtime winner, and continues to rocket his way up the charts of the scoring leaders. And, uh, you know, to think about Elias Pettersson as a top 10 player in the league, it is kind of hard to quantify but we're definitely in that conversation, Sat. And it's undeniable he's having one of the best seasons in the National Hockey League. Like, period, end of story. There's no real debate. He's on a short list of players that are having the best seasons in the National Hockey League, the most valuable seasons in the National Hockey League. He, I mean, he absolutely is. And we've made the, we had a discussion before. Harmon Dial is going to join us a bit later. And, you know, we spoke to him about, hey, if Pedersen was in an actual playoff race, is he getting hard trophy consideration? Analytically, it's there, right? And it doesn't mean just because analytically he's having a top 10 valuable season, he's actually a top 10 valuable player. But what it does is give you an, a chance to discuss it. And it gives you an in that, Value-wise, the best we can quantify value, Elias Pettersson comes out in the top 10 in the league this season. And based on us watching him play, I don't think that's ridiculous. And I watch, I've been watching a lot of hockey this year, too, trying to watch other teams, especially with the Canucks being around the trade talk. And we do, you know, do some scouting when the Canucks play teams to see, you know, how, how other teams play. And it's hard to imagine 15, 20 players in a league who have been more valuable or better to their teams than Pettersson has been. Like, I, I get it. If you don't want to put him in the top 10, fair. I mean, there are a lot of great players in the league. There yeah. really are, right? And the one of the things that I, I, I've stopped getting worked up over is people talk, talking about the best players in the league and where they rank. I think there are a lot of really good players. I mean, you can make arguments for a lot of great guys in this league, right? But there's no world where Pedersen isn't a top 15, 20 player in the league this year. There's a no world you can't make that argument. And that's still a huge rise from where he was last year, and he was struggling so much, especially midway through the season. So it's Connor McDavid's world and everybody else is just living in it, right? You can throw McDavid into his own tier of player. Yeah. And that's how we like to do it. We don't like, you know, the strict and, and hard top 10 list, right? Because, you know, you, you are sort of, um, you are picking at straws with some of these players, right? Mm-hmm. Their value is all among the elite in the league. But if you just restrict it to, even just centerman, it's Connor McDavid, right? He's in his own tier. Mm-hmm. The next tier is probably Austin Matthews, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, and Sidney Crosby. Yeah, and we're talking forwards. We're not doing. Yeah, you know, if you're doing defensemen, then you got to throw Caleb McCarr in there. That's just centerman because you know 
bringing in Kucherov and Matthew Kachuk and some other guys into the conversation. You could make the case that Kucherov, Kachuk, yeah. even Pasternak, you know, even though they're they're wingers, that their value will be similar, if not more, based on how how dynamic those guys are. I mean, I think Davis, Matthew Kachuk is the most valuable winger in the league. I can see it. I mean, I still love Kucherov's game because I think part of it is he just gets through regular seasons now. Yeah. And then he'll dominate <laughs> in the postseason. And McDavid's going to finally break it now. But in the past, what, 10 years? Or, uh, yeah, the past 10 years, no players have more points in a league in a single season in Kucherov. 126. Yeah. McDavid at 109 right now. Yeah. He's going to, I mean, as long as he's healthy, he'll blow by it. Finally. Yeah. But he's going to finally have a better season, one season point-wise, than Kucherov. And I think we forget how how dynamic Kucherov can be when he's on top of his game, right? So you can certainly argue any one of these things in yep. terms of where Pedersen finds himself. But if you want to make the case that Pedersen's a top 10 player, mm-hmm. you absolutely can. And nobody can tell you you're wrong. Yeah. They can say they disagree and you know they can make arguments otherwise. But you're not wrong for believing Pedersen is a top 10 forward in the league this year. How do you argue against the best or at least the most efficient five-on-five scorer in the league? Because that's what Elias Pedersen is. Mm-hmm. He is the most efficient five-on-five scorer in the league. For years, I was, you know, in the early stages of Austin Matthews' career, so it was like, this guy is the best five-on-five goal scorer, and it's not even close. Not Alex Ovechkin, not anybody else comes even close to the amount of goals Austin Matthews scores at five-on-five, and that's hugely valuable. It is the most common game state that you are in, and that's what Elias Pettersson is bringing, not just goals, but the amount of goals that he provides to his team when they are playing at five on five is not just elite. It is the best in the league right now. And Mm -hmm. it's not all that close when you think of who is next to him. You know, I, I, when I ran the numbers last week, only Eric Carlson has more raw points than Elias Pettersson at five on five. And it's a handful or it was a handful, but he'd played more than 400 minutes than Pettersson at five on five. So we're talking about a player who is not just elite, but he has performed the best and the most efficient at the most common game state day in and day out. Well, and part of the reason why his season has actually, you can make the case it's even more, there's been more to give. And we're seeing it now under Talkett and he's kind of exploding for even more points now, right? Mm -hmm. Is the power play production wasn't quite there. Yeah. That's finally come around you know, for him this season. And that was just by virtue of him not scoring goals, essentially. Like, he didn't he didn't have a goal on the power play for the first, what, almost half of the season? Yep. Almost the first half of the season. Didn't get a single goal on the power play. Took forever. Yeah. He was still getting some assists, but not the same level of production on the, on the man advantage from him as we've been used to seeing. What was really most prolific was the Miller to Horvat mm-hmm. bumper play, right? That, that was really the play that was... That was floating the Canucks and and Bo Horvat's goal scoring at a high rate earlier this season. Pedersen wasn't as big of a factor. Now that's starting to shift a little bit. So I don't think there's anything inflated about the numbers. Somebody texted in and said, you know, hot take, but I would say he's top 15 because Kuzmenko has inflated Pedersen's numbers with his finishing skills. Yeah, fair, but every single top guy in the league has a really good line mate. Yeah. I mean, who does Matthews play with? William Nylander. Yeah, and sometimes Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. Tavares. I mean, these guys, not always, but these are pretty good players, right? Kucherov plays with Stamkos or Point or, you know, any one of those guys. Yeah. When we talk about the absolute 
Dreisaitl and McDavid oftentimes play on the same line, have oftentimes played on the same line. They will play, at, even if they don't start on the same line, They, you know, depending on what's happening mm-hmm. in the game, they'll play every game. At some portion of that game, they'll play together. I think the way you have to look at it is you put real finishers around Pedersen, yeah. they'll be even better at finishing because he'll find them. And how many of the goals we've seen from Kuzmenko? And I think now, the, actually, and I'm not taking this away from Kuzmenko because I think... He, He's been terrific, absolutely terrific, and he's gotten better as the season goes on. But how many gimme goals has Hedder Pedersen set him up for, especially the first half of the season? Backdoor tappins, tons, those types of things, like just constantly. And the amount of space Pedersen opens up for his teammates, yeah. the way he draws in defenders. The perfect example was, you know, that uh, goal last week where he drew defenders to him, goes cross ice to Luke Shen, yeah. and then Luke Shen's just got a you know an easy pass back across to the back post for Andre Kuzmenko to tap it in. It's all because of Elias Pettersson drawing the play to him, and defenders are like frightened of him now because they know he is such a threat. And he get like you'll watch players; they're mesmerized by Pettersson when he has the puck in the offensive zone at times because you know they're like, okay, four, you'll see four heads turn towards him, and they that's how they lose their man because Pettersson is just so so good. Well, you know, I I coined him a matrix player back when he was a rookie, mm. and but by what? By that, I mean he's a guy, when he plays, he's plugged in. Yeah. Like, he's plugged into every facet of the game. He completely understands the—he uh, has great spatial awareness, and he has great awareness of where every player is and what angles they're about to take based on their presence. That's why you oftentimes see him—he kind of glances up, and that glance is enough for him to process where the play is going to go. And how often do you see him put a puck into space where somebody else ends up being? Or he makes a play that you kind of wonder about, but then you see that the pass leads to a secondary play that opens up space, right? And and that's the type of processing he has. And I, Wayne himself mentioned that he, the thing, Gretzky, I mean, the thing he, that he liked most I mean, about Patterson. everybody knows. When you say Wayne, everybody he knows. knows. We were talking about Gretzky, yeah. right? We were talking about Gretzky. And he said the thing that he loves the most about Patterson is how smart he is and how he sees the ice. Mm-hmm. And guys that see the ice so well are inherently like bound into the game, right? And that's why I mentioned a Matrix type of guy completely plugged in when he plays. And that's impossible to play against because even if you have him cornered off, he can see the other play by, ju- by, by making a simple pass, right? Yeah. So you're also kind of worried about... I can't lay off too much. Like, I do have to pressure him. But if I pressure him, he's going to find another spot open. And his puck handling skills, we know, have been terrific and getting even stronger and stronger as the season goes on. But you're right. Defense Defenders or skaters even the, on the opposition have a real hard time predicting what he's going to do. Um, there's always there's two things that always stuck out to me about Gretzky now that you brought it up. But um, his father got, you know, a whiteboard with the rink on it. And... They'd watch Hockey Night in Canada, and Gretz would just sit in front of the TV, and without looking at the board, he would just follow the puck and trace where the puck was going across the ice. And that way, it would, in his mind, you know, he kind of knew the patterns of where the puck was moving at all times. And the, the thing about Gretzky was most players view the game like two plays ahead. Mm-hmm. Gretz was like five plays ahead. <laughs> Yeah. You know, he was always he always knew he was two or three steps ahead of everybody else on what was going to happen next. And uh you know, the elite elite players process the game at just another level than everybody else does. Uh so Pedersen a, a top 5 pick. Right? Uh was 5th overall in 2017. Mm-hmm. And you know, we started this conversation all about the tank and where the Canucks may end up. 
And people want to see the Canucks keep losing so that they could potentially land in that top three. Not just have the best chance at Connor Bedard, but also have a greater chance of not falling too far down the draft board because you can only fall two spots. That's the maximum you can drop in the draft lottery. So when we look at this draft board, Sat, we know the top three likely to be Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at beyond that? Well, I'd say talent-wise, it's a top four of Umichkov, right? I think you have to put him in there just based on pure talent. The only reason why he wouldn't go in the top four is people being afraid of when he's actually going to come over. Do you have to wait until 2026 before you can put him into your roster? And that's something that might be a bit of a... Kaprizov-esque. To some degree, right? And you can also look at it and say, hey, prospects take a little bit of time. Three years is not that big of a deal. You don't sign him to his ELC anyways, and he comes in and you still have you know six years of control, and that's not too bad. So there is that aspect of it, depending on how you view your team and what kind of window you're in. Like Arizona, for instance. Are they okay with that? Yeah. They could be. Be like, you know what? That's fine. Like, we have a couple of years before we get our act together anyways, and he'll just be, you know, parachuted in, in a couple of years when our team's actually ready and getting closer to it. We don't have money for anybody anyways right now. Right, so exactly. This is it's great. great. It's fine. <laughs> we need to pay his entry-level contract for a couple of years. No bonus? Great. This is fantastic. We'll kick the can down the road a couple of years. So, but I put Mitchkov there. Like, I, I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't take him still in the top five. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I think he's that talented. But... It's a really fascinating draft in the sense of there are plenty of centers in this year's draft. Yeah. It's just figuring out which ones are true centers, which ones are more wingers. And reminds me of last year's draft when uh, Alvin, when we talked to him after the draft mm-hmm. and talked to him about Lecker Mack, he's like, well, yeah, some other guys, they're centers now, but yes. I'm, I'm not sure they are going to end up playing center. Precisely. And, and I think that's one thing this draft's going to be really interesting to try to find out. Like Fantilli, I think, is going to be a center, but with how much he carries the puck, mm-hmm. right, and, and how much he tries to take guys on, maybe he ends up being more of a power winger eventually, right? And I think there's some question there, but he should, probably should be a center. I think Leo Carlson should be a shoe-in to be a center unless his pace can't keep up. Yeah. You know, like if that ends up being an issue, his skating, then maybe he can't play center. But there is some Ryan Getzlaff there in his game in terms of, you know, creation, size, being able to protect the puck in the offensive zone. But if we're looking at, let's say the Canucks don't get a top five pick this year, right? Yeah. Or, or pick fifth or whatever. And all four of those guys we mentioned are, are off the board. Man, like between Oliver Moore, Ryan Leonard, even guys like David Reinbacher, Axel Sandin, Palika, maybe a bit high, number five for him. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm really intrigued. Because I see potential here. I see potential for maybe not a number one center, but a really good number two that can do a lot of different things for you. Like Ryan Leonard might be a Bull Horvat clone, but with better defensive awareness. Right. And he can really push through guys. And he's not afraid of just crushing guys either, right? Not the biggest player. He's about 5'11", but he plays like he'll be he'll be well over 200 pounds. It'll be hard to play against. And he'll be probably six feet tall eventually. So I really like Ryan Leonard's game. The question is, is he a center or a winger, right? Like that's the big question with him. But those players, I'm really intrigued by. I'm not as high on Will Smith because I wonder if he's going to be a Kent Johnson without the pace, but then not quite as dynamic at the same time. Right. So I wonder just about some of those things. But you know me, I'm becoming more old hockey man and I love guys with hockey sense that can do a lot of different things. And I'm seeing some of that, not only in some of the defensemen, the right side defensemen, but some of those centermen in that spot. So um, I would say, and I haven't done all of uh, my prep yet on the top 10 guys, but I have watched a lot of 
uh, Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, and Oliver Moore, just because they're all with the uh, U.S. national team program. So watching a few of those games, you get to kind of make some notes on all three of those guys. I would say Oliver Moore popped the most for me. His skating is really hard to miss. Yes, and this—I mean—and I don't—I don't want to say this to downplay his game, but he's such a safe prospect in that sense because he's gonna play. Yeah, like he's got the pace, and at the very least, he'll be a very fast checking center for you. But there is there are real tangible smarts in his game. There is some question about his ultimate finishing and his ultimate playmaking, as smart as he is. Is there a real ceiling there to be a top six guy? That would be his limitation to me. Like there that. He's really good, but he might just be a third line center. And are you are you are you shortchanging the ultimate potential of other players in that aspect by taking him? Yeah. You know, that's the one question. Because even if he pops, he's probably a second line center. Yeah. You know, he's probably not gonna be a first line center if everything falls in line for him. Whereas you look at a guy like Zach Benson, if he ends up playing center, he could be a first line center if everything pops right for him. Has to improve his skating, but man, do I like his smarts. Zach Benson might be one of the smartest players in this draft. Yeah. When when you're looking at prospects, how much has smarts become huge? A big part of it. And we've how often have we seen hockey players in this market? Yeah, not have the hockey IQ, and it's all it's very hard also to kind of figure hockey IQ out because the game is almost too simple at times at the lower levels, and it's so much more complicated with the systems at the NHL level. So processing at a rudimentary level is a lot different from processing at the NHL level, and that's why sometimes we've thought a player is really smart. But then when it gets to the NHL, it's just too much to process quickly. And when it's like that net next level of processing that's required, yep. it's like upgrading computers because you got a really fast <laughs> video game. And it's like, yeah. your video game can do it. Like, you can't play this video game on your crap computer because it's just too powerful. Um, with Oliver Moore, the, the thing, the skating certainly pops. Uh, I did like a lot of the vision that he displays yeah. in the offensive zone. Um you know when a pl- and this comes down to processing again when there are multiple plays available to you are you making the good play or are you making the better play and okay. making the better play is such a massive part of it yeah and you know it's one of those things like you you slow the game down and you start to assess okay what options did this player have here and okay there's a pass to the point he could go there that's the safe play that's the easy play or there's a pass to the slot. And, you know, I, f- I often found Oliver Moore making the better play, and that's something that I really liked about him. And I love that he understands also, like, body leverage. Mm-hmm. Like, he, when he's trying to defend somebody, he's not just going for the puck. Like, he knows how to take a stick away. He knows how to step in front of a guy. He knows how to get between space, and he's not afraid of doing so. And as he gets stronger, he'll do that even better. And those are just small, minor things that maybe we're paying, we're, we're hyper-focused on because yes. the details have been so poor here with the Canucks uh, on the pro level. The details matter! So when I see a player do those things, I get excited. I truly do. Like, I, I was telling Josh this. Like, I, I got home last night, and, you know, after doing the post-game show, and I'm like, okay... What do I want to do tonight? Do I want to watch a show for an hour? Do I want to watch watch a movie or whatever? I'm like, you know what? I want to watch Prospects. That's what I did. I, I spent yeah. like two hours watching Prospects last night because I'm just into watching smart hockey players. And this draft has a lot of smart hockey players. Uh, should be exciting. But the point of the short conversation around some of these prospects in the top 10, there's a lot of good ones uh, this year. And I think um, probably that next tier after the top three probably lasts till about seven or eight. Yeah, in the draft set, and then maybe there's a third tier beyond that, and that's going to be. And you know, I'm I'm really interested by that because I'm with you, but 
but I might for me it might be bigger. I'm not there yet. I'm still watching, yeah. but I think that second tier might be bigger. I think we're shortchanging guys. I know Faber's been really you know beating the David Reinbacher drum. Mm-hmm. I totally see it. Like he's not on a, he's not on an island when he mentions that Reinbacher top ten type of talent. Somebody views him that way. I don't think he's more Reed Sider, but I see it. I totally see it. Uh, Reinbacher feels like you know that right shot defenseman that mm-hmm. is being. Talked about in the middle of the first round that ends up going in the top 10. And Axel Sandin Palika, when you watch him, very safe player, makes all the right plays. Again, smart hockey player, you know, and can you do all those things at a higher level is a question mark. But when you watch him play, you see a smart player, efficient skater, moves the puck well, knows how to join up in the play, can play offensively as well. You know, maybe not plus plus anywhere, but just really smooth. Defensemen and centermen uh, get pushed up draft boards. Uh, it happens every single year and it's happening more and more each and every draft, including last year. I believe the Canucks were the first or second team after Uri Slavkovsky uh, to draft a winger last season. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw coming up. Yannick Hansen, our Friday hockey analyst on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It is a mailbag Friday, the final mailbag Friday ahead of the NHL trade deadline, which is next Friday. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage here on Sportsnet 650, including a three-hour edition of Canucks Central. Uh, We're going to have Yannick Hansen here in just a moment. The 2023 RBC JCC Sports Dinner is coming up on March 28th. You can be a part of the dinner by entering the 50-50 draw and the Duet Cadillac Raffle on now. Visit sportsdinnerraffle.com for tickets. This year's guest speaker brought to you by ZLC is none other than Rob Gronkowski. Gronk, for full event info, go to jccsportsdinner.com. Let's bring in our next guest. This analyst brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. Uh, Yannick, do you think you could tackle Rob Gronkowski if if given the opportunity? <laughs> if he's on skate, no, no, of, of course, no problem. Uh, I think if he's planned it, uh, I'd have a hard time. Yeah, Was the it, football field might be difficult. Yeah. Hey? <laughs> Was there anything more enjoyable than getting in hard on the forecheck and uh, giving the and finishing your check on the defenseman trying to get the puck out of the zone? I say it depends on the defenseman. Uh, if you have uh, 10, 15 pounds on him, it's a fantastic feeling. Uh, doesn't hurt at all. He, they bounce off of you and, and get thrown away. If it's the other way around. If they reverse hit you, if they have a little bit of weight on you, if it's uh, one of those sneaky hitters, uh, it's it's a painful task as well. Who was a defenseman you hated hitting? Uh, Douglas Murray. Yeah. Uh, it's almost <laughs> impossible to run into that guy. He's like 250 uh, pounds. Yeah, it's like a, he's like a brick house. It didn't matter if you catch him with his head down. Uh, didn't see you coming. Uh, yeah, you feel like you could run as fast as you can and, and doesn't do anything. Um, you, you'd take the bunt of it. Uh, those type of guys, it was it was more so, let, let's see if we can skate with these guys and make them chase you around instead of putting it in his corner. Um, so, yeah, I know when, when you looked at the lineup before the games, you obviously knew that uh, all Vlasic is, is out there. Um, let's just put it in his corner and see if we can hit him instead. Uh, 
those type of guys. Same with Dan Boyle. Um, you try to, to to get a lick at those guys, and then uh, Hannon, uh, Douglas Murray, uh, Rob Blake, those guys. Um, they're they're a little harder to hit. Uh, what about Chris Pronger? Yeah, it was the same thing. Obviously, very very big guys. So I I did not play that much against him. Um, yeah, I think it was just my first year. To be honest, uh, yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, but but again, uh, I don't know if he packed as much uh, weight uh, as Douglas Murray. I don't think he did. Uh, a little more lanky in, in in stature, if you will. Um, but but again, those those big guys, they were they were hard to hit. I was just going to say, you know, you you, you come in, uh, you know, rookie in the in that playoff series against Anaheim. It must not have been fun going up against Chris Pronger and the like. No, that that Anaheim team was was a very physical team all the way through. Um, so again, it, it was uh, it was a different animal to for sure. That being said, um, that was how it was played back then. Like our team in the minors was very 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 tough. Um, and again, if games were down late in games, you, you knew the shenanigan was starting and it was tough guys fighting left and right. Um, so it wasn't like it was completely uh, a different animal coming up there. Obviously, I wasn't a fighter in any way, shape possible. Um, but that was how it was played and that's how you're used to. And if you don't keep your head up, you're, it's going to get taken off. <laughs> Mine did get taken off in that game five. Um so, so it's it's not like you weren't used to it, um, but again, when you look at at some of these lineups, it it, it could be intimidating. There's no question about that. Uh, what was your favorite hit? I mean, my favorite hit of yours was the the hit on on Andrew Ferens in, in the Stanley Cup final when he wasn't watching. <laughs> Probably should have been interference, but I remember you putting him on his butt. But what was your favorite hit in the league? You throw. I don't one. know. I don't know. And yeah, that one. He I, he didn't have the puck. I didn't have the puck. The puck was uh, yeah. forty five feet away. If that, so I don't know if you can classify it as a hit, as a, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not like some, I have something that, that stand out because, uh, again, it wasn't my niche. I, I was in on a four-check finishing a check, but I wasn't throwing thunderous check that, that made the highlight uh, night after night. So taking one out uh, would be very challenging for me to do. Uh, Yannick Hansen, our guest here on uh, on Canucks Central. So, um, you know, the, the fans are mad that the Canucks are uh, playing a little bit better and uh, collecting some points here over the last couple of games. You're, you're never going to stop players from tanking, as we always have talked about. But, you know, I, I guess with last night specifically, um, you know, they're playing a lot better defensively, and they're starting to do things that uh, you, you're hearing Coach Rick Tockett you know, explain to them and be on the right side of the puck, not take too many chances, live for the next shift. It it, it seems as though the message is getting through. I guess we'll just have to see it uh, against some tougher competition. Uh, not so much some tougher competition. I need to see it next year. Um, mm. we, we've been over this for a couple of seasons now, that, that what happens now, what you do now, these next couple of weeks, uh, month, end of the year here, it doesn't matter. Because um, once game one starts next year, that's that's the team we we're wanting to see and how do they perform. And if we can take anything away from what has happened the past couple of years, it is it's a new season, it's a new team. Um, so how they finish, how they play down the straight stretch, it, it doesn't matter. Um, individual players to a certain extent, maybe a little bit, you can kind of see. Okay, does a young guy have? 
more in him can he turn into something but but in in terms of of team play and how they're performing you you can't put a whole lot of stock into it because mm-hmm. um, like i said it, it's a new season and all of a sudden the game starts to matter um, and, and that's where the the do's becomes the don'ts and 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 that stuff and then it's harder to play games that matter mm-hmm. it's harder to win when you have to win uh, when the games don't mean anything you go out and you're down two nothing to st louis who cares if we lose this game mm-hmm. majority of the people want that um but if this is a game you have to win and you're down two nothing and you come back well that's character that that that's finding a way to win um and that's something you can put something into. But when you come back against a St. Louis, uh, like they did last night, like it's not something you say, okay, that that's they they really dug deep and and they won a game and they came back. Yeah, it's, they should have done that months ago when it when it mattered. Um, so again, it, it's you need to be careful not putting too much into into mm-hmm. these games right now. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Because we've seen them do things. The question always comes down to, can you set the standards and expectation and have the consistency? And to your point, the only way for us to find that out is next season. But all we can do is kind of watch the games and try to judge the games the best we can with what is with what is left. And one thing I keep coming away with watching Andre Kuzmenko is he's seemingly getting stronger as the season goes on now. Again, it's hard to see what he's going to do on a good team next season if they do actually get better, but... The amount of work he's putting in to get better, what does that say about his professionalism and just his preparedness, though, that he's getting stronger as the season goes on? Yeah, he was he was obviously a big question mark um, at the beginning of the season, even in the middle of the season. Is he going to hit a wall here? What do we have here? It's, he's one of those freebies that, that teams bring in, and you hope they turn into what he did, and he's exceeded expectations and everything. And that's a huge plus because it's somebody coming in that you don't expect to come in and make a difference. And all of a sudden they come in and they fill a vital role on your team. And these guys will push teams over the top. Um, you knew you have Petey, you knew we had Bull, we knew we have Quinn, we knew we have all these guys. But but it's it's the guys around them that, that rounds out the team. And again, he's he was a vital part this, this year and he filled a role and, and he played above expectations. Unfortunately, the rest of the team didn't. Um, but but again, it, it's good to see, and that's what you can take away from a season like this. Like that, that you you came away with with a player who hopefully, if this team move in the right direction and you start pushing for for playoffs, uh, it's a forbidden word right now. But that, then, okay, we we have another guy here that, that we can kind of uh, throw in the mix and, and build our team with. You know, we uh, we got to see the debut, uh, at least in a Canucks uniform, for Atu Ratu last night. And he doesn't play a ton. But when you're watching a young player, Yannick, what, what you know, sort of habits and traits do you want to see, especially in a young centerman? I just want to see compete. Uh, I, I want to see them compete early. Um, there is so much adrenaline, new team, new coach. Uh, you you want to go out and, and, and you want to skate. Like, I, I don't need to see them making plays uh uh, doing all the little things to be like, uh, let's see if you, if you have the compete level to to play, and then we can start rounding out the the finesse and then chemistry and all these little things. But in the beginning, like I'd prefer to give him five, ten, fifteen games before you really start to judge him, um, because there's so many things that that goes on to come to a new team and getting settled and uh, what. Uh, where, what line am I playing in and what responsibilities am I getting 
Um, so I'm, I'm very careful at judging players, especially young players on new teams early, um, because you can also come in and blow out of the water. But then again, you hit that wall and adrenaline wears off. And what type of player am I really? Um, so again, to begin with, you just want to see them compete. You want to see them not, not stand out in any bad ways, obviously, um, and then just give them time. Well, it's such a rise in level at the NHL, but also going to a new team. Iratu had played some games in the NHL, so he was aware of what he needed needed to do. But you mentioned for young guys having to compete, and how much of that is also being able to process the game too? It's so you can compete and feel confident in doing so. Yeah, and processing the game at the NHL level is a little bit different because everything happens a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So, so you think you have a second with the puck, but you don't. You have half a second all of a, all of a sudden. And that is playing at a much faster pace. And and that is when mistakes get made. Um, and again, it takes, like I said, don't want to judge them too early because it, it takes a little bit of time to catch up to speed and start doing it at this pace. And then do their skills match up and can they play at this level? That's what you're trying to find out. Um, so, so so again... Uh, Again, the head needs to be there as well. Um, but as long as as long as the body and the, that work is there, and if they're competing, then let's hope that we can uh, we can turn them in the right direction and start teaching the systems and all these things. Because uh, it's it's hard to teach compete. It's either there or or it's not. You know, we we know your story well. We already talked about it a little bit. You your first games came in the playoffs. How did did that help you? in the summer like did it give you an idea of what you needed to work on in the summer after getting that initial taste of nhl hockey uh i think so and even even it took me a couple more years before my summers really got dialed down um that that was a very hectic summer that summer i mean playoff one playoff to another playoff to so it it was kind (laughs) of a whirlwind if you will uh, you lose out with Vancouver and bounce right back down to uh, Manitoba, and then continues the playoffs there. So it was like I said, it was it was a crazy off season, um, and again the expectations I think from a lot of people, um, maybe even myself included, was okay. He's he's going to make this team now. He he's he played the playoff. He played good. Um, he's going to come right down and, and grab a spot, and that obviously didn't happen. Um, so, so all of a sudden, there's this letdown. I was like, okay, am I not good anymore? Have I seen it now? And doubts start to creep in. Um, but, but again, it 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 gives you a sense of what's needed. And you saw the league at its highest level. It's like, okay, I'm I can skate with these guys, no question. But can I play with them as well? Um, so, so it, it I needed to take my game to to another level. Uh, and again, that that kind of happened that year in Manitoba. Um, it started going away from uh, not just being offensive. All of a sudden, okay, this we need to teach Yannick to play defense as well. We need to teach him to play penalty kill because AV wasn't comfortable using me there. And if I needed to get enough minutes, I needed to play on, on that side of the puck as well. So it, it was something that you can't teach yourself. It takes repetition. It mm-hmm. takes uh, practice. It, it takes games to do it. And back then was not something you were willing to teach a young guy in the NHL. So the only way for me to te- to be taught penalty killing was in the minors, where if you make a mistake, yeah, the, the guys aren't happy with it, the minor league team aren't happy with it, but, but it's not the NHL level yet. So there is still that margin for error is okay, and, and we're developing our players, if you will. Um, so so I, I had a really, really good year that year where, I will say I rounded out my game to become a 200-foot player instead of just 
uh, redlining in, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned that, and we had a chat, Dan and I, with Rick Tockett uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, we were talking about the details in the game, you know, how to, how to play along the wall and, and inside guy, stuff that we talked about before, but also just in general, like having to be on the right side of the puck consistently. And to your point, the amount of work you got to do and how hard you got to work to consistently be on the right side of the puck. And you can't teach that at the NHL level. You're right. But one thing this team is forced with, and we've talked about how guys have been rushed here and those habits have really fallen apart and haven't really been enforced, at least not recently, it seems like. And Talk had mentioned they're viewing this as extended training camp, and they're actually working on those types of details in practice, the very basic stuff you're talking about. Like, how odd is that for them to do at the NHL level? But at the same time, is that smart to do, given where this team finds itself and using this time in that way? Well, obviously, you need to change something. Right. Uh, we've been talking about culture, habits, uh, all all these things that have been missing, and, and everything that has been done. This is the third coach now. It hasn't really worked because we kept seeing it through Greener, through Bruce, uh, still through Talkit. And again, playing on the right side of the, bu- the puck is a habit, and, and it is a little bit boring. Because let's say you, you creep on the wrong side of the puck here offensively. If that puck squeaks, squeaks to you, you're on a two-on-one. That's a nice chance. You might score a goal, make a nice play for, for, for a helper. Um, but again, uh, most of the time this puck goes the other way. And yeah, my, something might not happen. But that one time it does, you get scored on. And it, it, that's the little thing. Are we okay with, with trading goals, which is exciting because we see six, seven goals per game or five, six games, and yeah, it's fun to play these games. Everybody gets their stats, everybody gets paid, um, but but it's not something where you can win consistently. Um, so changing that mindset and getting guys to buy in is probably harder, or is easier said than done. Because um, if there's something you could just go in, have a meeting and show, and then it would get done, they would have done it. Um, but again, creature of habits, um, play, playing with that and having some success while doing these things, it can breed just more negativity, if you will. Um, so again, it would be nice to see them corrected and how they're correcting. And I don't really care uh, as long as it gets done. You know, we, uh, we've talked a lot about Vasily Podkolzin, uh, the potential certainly there. Uh, Rick Tockett loved his first few games back up from the AHL. I think we all did. But now we're seeing the ice time dwindle again. Uh, the confidence may be waning. How... Like, is that the hardest part as a young player is, you know, just trying to stick with the plan and not let your confidence get you when you're making mis- mistakes here and there? Uh, consistency is what makes uh, NHL players. Everybody, and I almost mean everybody, can play a good NHL game. Everybody can play five, ten good NHL games. But being able to play 70 or 75 games is what separates the careers away from the ones that just gets a handful of games a season here and then they, they flutter out, go back to Europe, minors, whatever you you, you will. Um, consistency is the hard part. It, it's doing it when you're not feeling good, when the puck isn't bouncing your way, uh, when you have bad legs, you have had a bad night's sleep, whatever you can think of, that's when you need to be good. Um, and that's the hard part because it is such a good league and the, what separates most of the players are almost negligent. Um, so if you don't know how to hone in, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm having a shit day today. I got to make sure it is, I just chip it out. I don't show up on any videos tomorrow. I don't hurt the team and hopefully we'll get a win and somebody else will, will take care of business tonight because mm-hmm. there's a lot of these nights and that's what separates 
the good players from the ones that yeah fizzle out. Yannick, uh, before we let you go, uh, one of our listeners and one of your fans, Jabo, asked us to ask you a question. So we figured we'd let you go with this one. And uh, the question he has is about goaltending and what bad goaltending on a nightly basis may do to a team's psyche. Because I know goaltending has been a big topic of conversation. Some people saying it's goaltending's fault. Others saying the environment's really bad. But just a general question about goaltending, bad goaltending for a team. How much does that affect a team's psyche? Does it? Yeah, it is. It's huge because it it makes you worried. It it means that like okay, we can't we can't give up anything here. So instead of maybe taking a step in the right direction, you you protect yourself a little bit, and by doing so, you you take a step back. You give the other team um, more opportunity, more play. You don't want to get caught. Um, uh, so when you play with, I wouldn't yeah, bad goaltending tending where you where you think you're you don't need to give up anything. You you become a little bit hesitant. In, instead of aggressive and dictating, you're like, okay, let's just let's just feel it out here. Uh, play a low impact event game if you can. Uh, give up as little shots as possible, and by doing so, you take the foot off the gas maybe a little bit. Um, sit back, and and all of a sudden the other team, um, you give them too much control, too much puck, uh, and you're just hunkered down trying to trying to help your 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 goaltender out, but you're doing the opposite by yeah, sinking in too far. Um, so again, I, I've been fortunate that it hasn't happened very often uh, to me in my career. Yeah. But but it, it is a terrible feeling because you're you're always worried um, that that you're you're gonna give up a, a soft one, and then now we have to go push, and then then we're gonna give up a little bit more. It's it's a terrible feeling on the ice. And again, vice versa, when you have that feeling that your goalie's stopping everything. Um, you're going 100 miles an hour and you're carrying the play and it it doesn't really matter if we give up a a chance here because we know he's got it and it gives you it gives you so much confidence there's a reason you say the goalie is like 50 percent of your team or or even more of that uh, because he he gives you such a boost that you believe that when he's on his game we'll win every single game uh, because we will all we need is one and so it's it's a very tickly thing and a fickly thing to to play around with and it is like a, most most of the hockey game is played in your head yeah mm-hmm. we're, we're we're all out there physical and all these things but um the the margins between players these days is everybody's in great shape everything everybody's strong everybody can skate everybody can shoot um but but it's between the years that that most of the games are decided does it look did it look like like this team had goaltending in its head at any point you think? I, I don't know if I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it there. Yeah. Um, obviously, they don't have Demko, uh, but but there's more to it than just goaltending. Because uh, last year they had they had phenomenal goaltending, and it was still the same thing when you saw them out there. It was the same turnovers, the same mistakes. Um, but again, it, it got masked a little bit more. Uh, where this year it, it didn't. This year they just I think they scored more. I, I don't keep track of this stuff. Uh, that, that that's why they're still in in most of these games and are winning. But again, I don't think you can chalk this up to to bad goaltending. I think Dan's uh, mic just broke. We'll try to put it back in. But Yannick, it's always a pleasure getting you on here uh, on a Friday. So uh, what you got going on with the family this weekend? Uh, my parents are in from from Denmark. Uh, we just got back from Phoenix. We were uh, at a hockey tournament with the little ones down there over President's Day. So. Uh, we're just back. We had a couple of trips up to, to Whistler for some skiing as well, so it's, uh, it's busy. Uh, awesome. Uh, enjoy it, Yannick. Thanks for this.
Yeah, thank you. Uh, there is Yannick Hansen. <laughs> that, that microphone, it just like, it just fell it just <laughs> like, so, the, went to the, talk. The and mic <laughs> just like unplugged. <laughs> just unplugged. Like Ghost came and unplugged it. Just like took it out. <laughs> Probably because I fiddle with it too much. Probably. I'm, I'm definitely a fiddler during the show. Fidgety. Do we need a fidget spinner? Maybe. Yeah. Or just like something I could doodle with. Anyways. I just spin around my cell phone half the time. Uh, it is Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, Harmon Dial is going to join us. Uh, his take on where Pedersen stands as one of the top players in the league. And um, a week away from the trade deadline, what could the Canucks also be up to? Let's get to that next on Canucks Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. This, hour number two of the show. And it's brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Got a lot to still get to on the show, including the mailbag. Uh, but just ahead a of the mailbag, Sat, okay. a really important piece of business we need to do. What you got? Um, Luke Shen trade watch. Oh, uh, has he? Uh, is is Luke Shen still a Vancouver oof. Canuck? I didn't check during the break, so I'll um, check right now. Uh, wait. No. Uh, no. Oh no. No. Sorry. He's he's still a Vancouver Canuck. Still a Canuck. Okay. Still a Canuck. Uh, I, had, I had a couple calls out today that went went uh, unreturned. Oh. Make that a, make of that what you may. Probably uh, nothing to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually when there's something, I'll, yeah. I'll hear something. Yep. But yeah. Um, they're like, I'm not telling this guy anything. <laughs> no. Uh, it's just one of the, it's, it's really quiet. Before yeah. we get to harm, it, you know, we didn't, I don't want to do a disingenuous, like, let's start, we have one open segment today because we have yep. a mailbag coming up and we'll answer questions. But I don't want to do the disingenuous, like, let's check in what's going on, guys. Like, they might be up to this. It's like, nothing's changed. Yeah. You know, they're open to doing retention deals. Does it come together? We'll see. Uh, they got a week to figure it out. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Jim Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui, Jim Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. Let's bring in our next guest. That is Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Thanks for this, Harm. Uh, how are you? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Uh, we're we're all interested to figure out what's going to happen with Luke Shen here. Um, you know the 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 NHL trade market. It's it's so strange, right? We've had Chikrin and Gavrikov and Shen waiting mm-hmm. for for their deals, and then the minute that Orloff and Hathaway were sat out, like they didn't even get to game time before they were on the move to the Boston Bruins. It's been it's been kind of wild trade season in that way. Absolutely, and you can understand why it's taken a bit of shot, a bit of uh, time on Shen too, because. You look at when a player like Orlov unexpectedly hits the market, you can tell that with a team like Boston, all of a sudden maybe their initial plan was to go after someone like Gavrikov as it was rumored that they were close to a deal with Columbus there. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, Orlov's on the market unexpectedly. Like, we've got another option. We've got to explore all our options. And you can, you can imagine something similar happening um, with the teams that are potentially looking at Luke Shen where – with another right-shot defenseman like Nick Jensen out of uh, Washington, who's another sort of pending UFA, I'm sure teams are also trying to weigh 
and understand what all of their options are. Even in Florida, another right shot, physical sort of stay-at-home defender in Radko Gudis, it's, um, it, it creates an environment for a lot of buyers where you're trying to weigh, sort of wait and see what exactly teams are looking to do, especially because even when it comes to teams like uh, Nashville is another example of a club where it's going to go down to the wire in terms of them determining whether they're uh, sellers or whether they're going to stand pat. And, you know, that can always introduce more names into the market. And so I think that's part of the reason why with, you know, outside of the really big sort of like, you know, top of the list sort of targets like a Tarasenko or some of the other ones that some of these secondary uh, players like a Luke Shen, um, as you've seen in Vancouver, why it's, it's taken a bit of time to sort of find a resolution. Well, and the question really becomes, what's a good return for Vancouver and what's a fair return and what is the market really going to bear? And he's not an Orlov's class, right? And Orlov, because yeah. Garnet had, had a, Hathaway's part of it as well, and you look at a first-round pick, but they took Craig Smith back. So I think it's a bit convoluted, right, in terms of really assessing what's the singular player's value. But at the very least, we're talking about a first-round pick and another pick. That's, that's the value for a good defenseman for Orlov. The high end seems to be a second for for Shen, but should we ready ourselves for the fact that he may net a third and perhaps maybe even a low as a fourth? Yeah, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if it ends up being lower than third, and and it, I think it'd be really disappointing. That would be mm-hmm. well below market value. I view a third as as kind of being the floor uh, in terms of what it should be, considering you look at Justin Braun last year at the deadline, for example, for uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, went to the Rangers for a third-round pick, and I don't think Braun was having nearly as, as good of a season as Shen was. So that's instructive to me, and, and I think the ceiling then would be, you also look at another comp from last year, Jeremy Lazan, who, again, nobody, he was originally with Seattle, nobody would view him as a top-four defender, and Nashville went out and traded the second-round pick for him. So that's definitely the range that you're you're looking for, where I think you'd be really, really happy if you're, if you're the Canucks and you can net a second. Um but you, you're, it's still a third-round pick would still be around market value, even if it's a little bit um, below what you know maybe we were initially hoping. Uh, but anything below a third would, would definitely be, I mean, it'd be really disappointing considering the type of season Shen has had and uh, the sort of value that you know he could bring to a lot of uh, cup contenders and a lot of the intangibles as well. So that second to third range is, is kind of what I'm eyeing in terms of what, where I'd hope and expect Shen to kind of land. You know, beyond Shen, there, there isn't a lot of obvious trade candidates uh, on this Canucks roster. I mean, you know, we've talked about Besser and Garland, and we all know the difficulties about moving term right now, so it's it's almost an unlikely at this point. But beyond Shen, um, how can this team maximize, um, you know, finding ways to get assets here in the next week? Yeah, it's going to be about weaponizing some of the LTIR cap space they have more than you know, finding a way to dump, say, some of their inefficient contracts because kind of like what you've been mentioning, because of how difficult it is to sort of move contracts with term out, I'm, you know, I'm more looking at names like Besser and Garland or Myers or, or even some of your positive value assets um, like Demko. Like those, those to me are decisions that you probably have to look at doing um, in the summer where it's a little a little bit less complicated for teams in terms of their cap situation, and they have clarity on exactly you know where their RFA's are going to uh, line up. They'll at the end of the season know okay who who are we looking to bring back in, in our roster internally? How does that change our cap projections? Who can we fit in? Um, and so because of that, really, I am looking at can the Canucks get in on the bidding 
um, and look to, you know, with a team like Edmonton, for example, if they're looking to make um, a, a big acquisition, whether it be a defenseman or a forward, they're dollar in, dollar out, absolutely capped out. Could you take on a contract like Jesse Pujarvis, which um, lasts through the end of this season, uh, and get paid for that? Obviously, there's a retention option where you've seen, um, you know, other teams like Minnesota, for example, acting as third-party brokers, but I'd, I'd prefer that they look the contract route just because it's a contract route you're probably going to get a bit of a higher return. Like Minnesota has been getting like mid to late round picks, which are still valuable. Like anything that you can, you can get for essentially free, um, the Canucks should be looking to do. But with some of these contracts, it might be beneficial, especially because when you're taking a contract as opposed to helping broker a retention, you don't burn up your retention slot. So um, at this point, it's really going to be, you know, about that LTIR space. And, and that's where I'm going to be curious to see. Like, this isn't something we've seen the organization really do in the past. Um, it's asking ownership to essentially dish out some cash for draft picks. Like, that to me is, even just philosophically, is going to be telling about how they view the future direction of uh, of this organization and how creative they can get. Well, and that's the thing we all want to see, right? The team take advantage of these types of situations to net a draft pick. And what you mentioned too, which is which is something that people have to keep in mind, we all have to keep in mind, is they only have two retention slots available. And with the draft also being ahead of July 1st before the new league year kicks in, it's one of those things where there is a cost to perhaps using it depending on what type of deal we get back. Like for you, what type of draft pick would be worth it to use a retention slot for? Is it worth it for a fourth or a fifth? Would you have to get a higher pick? Like what do you see as being sufficient value to use one of those retention spots? Maybe a fourth. It, it obviously depends on what else you're looking to do. Again, if it's, you know, one of these contracts where, again, it expires at the end of the season, you can mm-hmm. be a little bit more liberal with it because, you know, you're you're probably not doing a whole lot of business at, at the trade deadline. Um, I think you also have to be a bit cognizant of, like, when it comes to, and, and Bess and Garland are names that you have to kind of obviously, you know, consider maybe more in the offseason, but even with the Canucks' own players that have turned beyond the season, you have to be sort of um, mindful of, like, I, I think the the question of, how much like like there needs to be a certain price or draft pick to justify retaining that's 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 something that should apply really with a a guy like brock besser again that may happen in the offseason but because that has turned beyond this season um like you don't want to just retain multiple years and only end up netting like a mid-round draft pick right like whereas opposed to if with, with a player like besser you could get you know let's say like a second round pick and you're retaining a bit then it's a little bit more justifiable just because um, when you're brokering, I guess the advantage again is you're, you know, that contract's going to expire at the end of the season. You're, you're going to get that retention slot back, as opposed to I think where you need to be, need to um, be extra wary is um, if you are looking at, um, you know, a Besser or a Garland and, and being mindful of is it worth it to retain salary in this situation? And in some cases, it will be right. Like with a player like Connor Garland, mm-hmm. whether you know it's in the off season, right? I think there's a, a lot lower of likelihood of a team being interested in taking on the full freight of his contract so in a case like that where you're maybe even you know we've heard management say that they'll consider the buyout route i mean in that sort of case you'd probably prefer retaining a little bit as opposed to um buying out and then there's even like you get into the jt miller conversation right which i don't think is going to happen at this deadline but if you're even considering it in the offseason think about the way that the arizona coyotes sort of we're able to get a lot of value with all of Reckman Larson in, in, in dumping him to, uh, uh, to Vancouver, where they were like, okay, 8.25 might be a little bit too steep, but they were like, okay, we'll, we'll retain 1 million 
and we'll give you another good player. And they ended up netting so many good assets with it too, right? So, you know, it, it, it can change the calculus of, um, you know, a, a player like Miller um, in the offseason, if you're looking to even even deal him, uh, about, you know, could you want to potentially use that retention slot so that for another team, you know, if they're not interested in taking the full freight of it, if he's, if he's say, a seven and a half or seven flat player instead of an eight, um, you got to be mindful of that too. So um, I know it kind of went on in a, in a bunch of different directions there, but um, I, I think that's, that, that's something I'd be really cognizant of when it comes to players with term. Harmon Dial of our, uh, of the Athletic, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central, and you know as as much as uh, Rick Tockett is setting in the foundation right now, and and uh, I guess some things are are uh, analytically looking better for this team. It's still uh, I- incredibly apparent that they've got to figure out a way to get better on defense, and you've still got the Oliver Ekman Larson, um, you know, anchor contract. Myers is still signed for another year. One of the hardest things about fixing the Canucks defense harm is it's already, you know, a top 10 most expensive defense core in the league, and it's incredibly inefficient at that rate as well. It's, I don't know how, it's not just as simple as like, hey, let's go throw money at this guy because one, you don't have the cap space, but two, you're already spending too much back there. Absolutely. It's, it's also why... A, a big priority has to be drafting and develop the, developing these guys because you look at the common theme with when teams have to uh, over overpay for guy overpay for defensemen, whether it's on the trade market or in free agency, it's it's when you have to externally source these guys. And and if you have a really high end defenseman on you know a, a decent a decent contract, like that's you know no team's going to want to trade that sort of uh, that that sort of so it's a very rare instance, you know, for that sort of uh, opportunity to arise, and that's where you look at the Canucks' um, drafting and developing under Jim Benning. The, the crux of the problem really started with them being unable to uh, really develop any player through the draft outside of Quinn Hughes, and, and that's where for this management group, you know, whether it's signing, if, being able to source college free agents and finding the next, finding the next sort of Troy Stetcher or Chris Tanev sort of uh, player, um, but more importantly, like acquiring a higher volume of draft picks, so you can you know start restocking the prospect pipeline. That's usually going to be your best route to do it, because you look at some of the contracts that te- that team signed last offseason for free agents. For example, we saw Erica Branson, for example, fetch four million times four years, mm-hmm. and the Blue Jackets signed him to be a number four five defenseman. Like that, that's a really expensive contract. Uh, a player like Jan Ruda. In Pittsburgh, another sort of number five-ish sort of defenseman got 2.75 million times three years, if I recall correctly. So, anytime you're dealing in free agency and you're trying to solve those problems, it's you're always going to have to overpay. I mean, look at that's how, that's how the Canucks ended up with Myers Myers contract. Um, that's how the Canucks, you know, had to go out and trade for Oliver Ekman Larson is because they had no one in the system. Um, it's the same sort of logic with. Um, when they went out and uh, acquired Nate Schmidt, which actually at the time they didn't have to pay a lot for. But again, it's the same sort of premise of you're going to have to, you know, if you want an established defenseman, he's going to be expensive in terms of the dollars, which you can't really afford with the existing group, um, which, you know, leads you to a situation where drafting and developing has to be the main way to to prioritize. And that's why it's not a quick fix. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not, right? And this is something that is going to take time. And 
they also need a few moves to really go their way, and we'll see what else they have up their sleeve. Now, you know, shifting the discussion to some of the players currently on the team that will hopefully be here long term, and Elias Patterson and Harm, we've talked about him a lot, you know, over the years, and also a couple weeks ago about, you know, could he be in the heart race if this team was actually close to a playoff spot? But looking at what he did against the Blues and looking at how his team level of play keeps rising and he might get 110 points this season, when we talk about absolutely amongst the most valuable players in the league, top 10 value player. We see it analytically for Elias Pettersson, but also how much more can this guy do once he truly fills in his frame and takes another leap? Like, I mean, we're talking about a guy that truly could win not only one big trophy, but multiple big trophies down the road. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that won't necessarily show up in the point totals, but you'll notice it in terms of the impact that he's able to make in other areas, right? We've, already seen it this season where forget about the point totals right which they've been amazing but seeing how much stronger he is on the puck this season the way sometimes where you see him initiate contra- uh, contact and occasionally throw a big hit on the forecheck he's really starting to assert himself a lot more in those sorts of areas where compared to the last couple seasons I remember a lot of instances where it'd be easy to knock him off his uh, his feet a little bit um, and, you're, you, and you've really seen all, him take a lot of uh, strides, even flashes at, at, uh, at points where he's able to set the tone in, in a different way, where whether it be how he's picking off a pass in the offensive zone, how he's leading the forecheck, how he's winning a battle in, in the defensive zone, how he's coming extremely deep to help lead a break, breakout up the ice when the team's in trouble. It's those little areas where He's making such a profound impact. And as you mentioned, once he becomes even more comfortable in his body, once he realizes the, the different ways that he can impact the game, you combine that with his IQ, with, with how much he can do with the puck on his stick, you're looking, at, you're looking at a player that is so complete and has virtually no flaws in, in his game in terms of how he can impact it at 5-on-5, five five, on the power play, uh, on the penalty kill. The next part of his evolution that I'm hoping to really see is with face-offs, right? Because if he can really start to excel in that department, then all of a sudden you're looking at a player who becomes that much more valuable as a penalty killer, becomes that much more versatile as a sort of player who can, and not that you'd want, want to throw him in this, in, in this environment all the time, but late in games you could rely on him to win a, a, a big key face-off and be used in different situational and matchup roles. So, that's that's an area where with the face-offs, if he can you know, start to improve that too, like there's it, there's no ceiling in terms of how valuable he can become as a player. Harm, we appreciate the time as always. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Harmon Dial of the Athletic joining us here on Canuck Central, and uh, Pedersen was so good last night, he legitimately broke the St. Louis Blues set. He did. I mean, he's broken them uh, before. He's broken <laughs> Biddington before. Yep. Um, uh, now he's breaking season. Craig Berube. Craig Berube sniping at the team, and then uh, Robert Thomas sniping back and yes. saying the coach is wrong. Yes. What does this lead to? Clearly, at least Robert Thomas getting <laughs> traded, right? Probably uh, I not. don't know. Can the Canucks get in on that? He's, uh, he's a pretty good player, I'd yeah. say. Uh, I'd say the coach is Rob more Thomas expendable. for JT Miller? No. I mean, who says no? I don't think Vancouver. <laughs> I don't think anybody says no. I mean, Rob Young, Rob yeah. Thomas. I mean, maybe one of the better playmakers in the league. Yeah, and JT has a lot of strengths. I'm not saying JT's a bad player. I mean, if anything, we've defended JT a lot over the yeah. years. But all joking aside, 
for the Blues. I don't think they're going to side with a head coach who might be at the end of his you know life uh, shelf life with the team yeah. over a player they locked up for eight years. It's um. It is quite interesting. You know, I guess, uh, you know, Barube is is looking to get something out of the roster right now. So who you call out, you call out your top players and see what how they respond. Because the Blues have been an absolute tire fire ever since they made the O'Reilly trade. Oh, yeah. You know, like they've kind of just, you know. I guess they saw where the season was headed and they've had a tough time getting up for some games lately because they were dreadful last night. I mean, the Canucks owned every part of the rink, even though it was a late comeback that ended up deciding the game. But, you know, Rob Thomas was nowhere near the player I expected him to be or I'm used to seeing, I should say. Um, and, And last night, the Canucks' top players dominated that game. And I could see why... Barube was as upset as he was. Did he cross a line calling out, you know, those guys are getting paid a lot of money now. I need them to be better. Yeah, do that with what you will. But, you know, I, I feel like sometimes hockey players are, you know, they, they talk about soft all the time. You can't get too upset about your coach calling you out after you have a terrible game. I, I agree. Um, hey, I didn't play in the NHL, and I know that players who have hate when money gets brought up. Yeah. You know, like, so I get that from the outside. So it's easy for us to say, and mm-hmm. then players come up, come back and say, that that's that's something you don't cross. You don't talk money. You can say whatever that's you want. That's a line you don't cross. That's a line you don't cross. So I get it. But I do think overall in hockey for a very tough sport, there's so many unwritten rules and so many, like, eggshells you got to walk around yeah. and on that it's just like you got to walk around eggshells all around, around, around these so-called tough people all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, give me a break. Right? Like, nobody can get traded. No trade clauses. God forbid. They're families. <laughs> the horror. A yes. player might get traded to go somewhere else to play in the NHL and make millions of dollars. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, do, the upheaval. It's like, I get it. It's not easy, of course. But you get paid a lot of money for it, despite you not wanting to hear it. And other sports who get paid more money, that's part of the business. And yeah, maybe because they make so much money in other sports, the movement they deal with and live with, because we're making so much bank, it doesn't matter. There is that side, but regardless, you're making more money than you're probably going to be able to spend. Yeah. We're talking generational wealth here, right? And too much softness in the NHL overall with, you know, what things you can say, you can say, and unwritten rules and all that stuff. I, I, I think everyone needs to grow some some thicker skin. And I don't think Bay's wrong, though. You watch that Blues team. If you want to be mad at anything, be mad at the Blues for not scoring an empty net. Yeah. <laughs> if they had any conviction at all, they put that game away. Any. Yeah, that's why Brubu, like, he had a right to be pissed. Like that's a joke. Your your team had no reason to even be in, be in that game. You got a couple of reviews go your way. You have an empty net, and then you let that team score on you the way you do. Yeah. And you don't finish the game off. It was embarrassing. I, I can't believe I'm sticking up for Craig Berube here, but look, I want coaches to be more honest. You know, when they assess their team, and not just be like. You know, I'll uh, I'll discuss that with my team uh, in in the room or whatever. You know, you normally hear coaches say that team rightfully got called out last night, mm-hmm. and he's also trying to build a new leadership group. Right? Yeah. You just traded Ryan O'Reilly. Who wants to lead the group here? Right? <laughs> Who, who's going to set us the high standard again? We're we're handing the team over to these two young guys that just got paid sixty plus million each. Mm-hmm. 
and they're not playing like it. They're not playing like leaders. They're not setting the standard for this team. So uh, it's not something like, oh, like we'll we'll do it next year. We'll start when training camp starts next year. Like that, no, that's something you got to do every day, as we talk about constantly. And it's been such a big problem here in Vancouver over the last couple of years. Uh, all right, it's mailbag time. That's coming up next on Canuck Central.